Well, we're glad everyone made it this morning. I know the roads were slippery, some were flooded, and uh, everybody is here that's here, and we're thankful for that. Just be careful when you go home. Hopefully that sun's going to melt some of that ice out there. Uh, just be thankful it wasn't on the trees. And so uh, we, we do have something to be thankful for. But we're especially thankful that you're here this morning. <clears throat> As we have been looking, uh, last Sunday we took a uh, lesson um, away from our uh, study of the abundant life. But as we've been looking at that abundant life, we realize that Jesus came to give us life and that we might have it more abundantly. And Peter tells us that we can add those Christian graces to our lives, and if we add those uh, uh, characteristics or those attributes to our lives, that we can make our calling and election sure and that we can give ourselves an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God, and that we will be fruitful and productive as God's people. Paul tells us that these characteristics are the result of God's Spirit living in us. And we see the result by the fruit of the Spirit. And we have examined several elements of the fruit of the Spirit in our series of lessons. And so I have just a few more lessons, a couple of more. We'll sum it up with a third lesson. Uh, but I think that I have one more next Sunday, and probably at the end of the month we'll, we'll finish it up. But today we want to look at gentleness and meekness. Now I don't think we can find a better example of that than Jesus Himself. When Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, we know that He set up or instituted the Lord's Supper. And after they sung a hymn, they went out and they left. And they were headed to the garden. And we've seen last Sunday in our lesson, uh, John chapter 17, that somewhere on the way, Jesus prayed that prayer concerning His disciples and you and I. And then when He made it to the garden, He prayed, and on three occasions He prayed. And then finally the mob showed up to take Jesus away. And we begin by reading in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 49, it says, And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place. For all that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. There we see what we're going to be talking about this morning. Power under control. Jesus had the ability where He could have called twelve legions of angels but yet He did not because He was willing to suffer the death of the cross so that you and I could have salvation because He wanted to be about His Father's will. And if anyone had a right to call twelve legions of angels, it would have been Jesus Himself because we see that He was not worthy of death. He had done nothing that was sinful, but yet He was being crucified or going to be crucified on the cross. And I want us to re realize that gentleness and meekness is not being cowardly, and we're going to talk about that this morning. We have allowed the world to force us into a mold where we want to be tough. 
We like those old John Wayne movies or those old Clint Eastwood movies. We want to be like them. We want to be tough. But if God's living in us, and if Jesus is in our lives, then guess what? It will produce the opposite of arrogant toughness. We're not going to be looking at people and say, go ahead, make my day. We're going to have a different outlook. We want to make their day by presenting a Christ-like attitude in our lives so that they can see that. We produce the fruit of gentleness and meekness and also humility. If we're willing to listen to God and allow God to live in us, the Scripture tells us that it will result in the fruit of the Spirit which was read for us in our Scripture reading this morning. The question is, are we more interested in worldliness or godliness? Would we rather be like the images that are out there that are portrayed in the movies and on television? Or would we rather be like the image that we see in the New Testament of Jesus Christ Himself? We ask the question, what is gentleness? Well, gentleness... Is, or meekness is a passive trait that causes us to be gentle with others even when they mistreat us or abuse us. Meekness and humility are different from gentleness in that meekness and humility are inward feelings. Humility and meekness are conditions of the heart while gentleness is the outward active behavior. It's what we demonstrate. We feel meek and humble, but we act with gentleness. When we look in a dictionary, we can find different words to describe what we're talking about. Gentleness is being kind. It's being tender-hearted. It's being mild-mannered. It's being considerate of others. It is being soft in our actions and reactions toward others. Gentleness is a sensitive regard for others. In other words, we're thinking of the other person when we react. Gentleness is being silent instead of laying on the horn or yelling at someone as I seen yesterday as I was driving down the road. Somebody got cut off or something happened and the person in front of me they weren't very gentle. Gentleness results in our being kind when others are verbally abusive or just mean-spirited toward us. Several years ago, I preached a sermon, Handle with Care. And in that sermon, I used the illustration that my mother had a cookie jar. And I talked about that cookie jar. And to her, it was a special cookie jar. To us, it, was, it had in it what we wanted. But every time we would go to that cookie jar and lift the lid, it would rattle. And I would always hear my mother say, you better be careful with that cookie jar. And in that sermon, I remember I said that I think my mother could have been across the street talking to a neighbor, and if we snuck into that cookie jar, she would have heard us, and she would have yelled all the way across the road, you better be careful with that cookie jar. That cookie jar was served a purpose. That cookie jar was used for 
what it needed to be used for, and we were instructed to be to handle it with care. Why? Because we knew that it could be broken. We knew that it meant something special to my mother. And what we need to understand is that souls are precious. And that we need to handle them with care. Not only our own soul with care, but the other person's soul with care. It is a recognition that a human, their personality is valuable. Their being is valuable. It is vulnerable. And it's often fragile. And it too must be handled with care. Paul gives us the illustration of what gentleness should look like. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. How gentle was Paul? How, was, how gentle were those that were serving the purpose that God had given them? It goes on to say, even as a nurse cherishes her children. Some versions have, as a mother cherishes her children. And when you think about a mother and a baby child or little child, how they nurture that child, how they hold that child, how they are very careful with that child, and many times they're very patient with that child. That's the demonstration that Paul wants us to see. That when he was handling their souls, when he was teaching them the Gospel, he was concerned about their soul. And he realized that what he was dealing with was something that was precious. The Greek words that are used for gentleness actually mean power under control. And I've heard it described like this. It's like a wild horse that's not broken or hasn't been tamed. That, the power of that horse is uncontrolled. It's chaotic. It really is not useful to the owner. It has no value. That power of that horse has no value. But when that horse is broken, that power is harnessed and becomes of value to the owner. Gentleness is power under control. Meekness is holding back. In other words, restraining our strength when we have the right and the power to retaliate because of their behavior. Jesus had the right to call twelve legions of angels, but He held back. He could have said, I've done nothing wrong. He could have pointed out what Judas had done. He could have pointed out a lot of what others had done. But He withheld. He held back but an indication of strength, but it's also a, it's a discipline or a strong discipline within. We hold back. We control our emotions. We control ourselves, our words, our actions. You see, it's easy to lose our temper. Anybody can lose their temper. It takes effort. It takes determination to control our temper. By gentleness, or gentleness is a form of temperance or moderation that tempers, which cools down or reshapes our anger and does away with our desires to strike back when someone has hurt us. 
gentleness or humility keeps us from hasty reaction by trusting God to handle the situation. Let God take care of it. You know, sometimes our problems exist in our lives because we want to take care of it ourselves instead of just turning it over to God. So gentleness is a behavior resulting in an attitude of meekness and humility and is the opposite of pride. Pride is the opposite of what we're talking about this morning because pride is thinking that we're better than others. We're better than someone else. And pride is conceit or arrogance. Reminds me of the story that I read some time ago where a CEO of a Fortune 500 company had pulled into a gas station and went inside to pay. And when he returned, his wife was talking to the attendant that was working at the gas station. And it turned out that she knew the gas station attendant. In fact, she knew him from high school before she met her CEO husband. She dated the man. Well, the CEO got back in the car and they drove down the road a couple of miles in absolute silence. Feeling pretty good about himself, feeling superior about himself, he spoke this. In arrogance, he said, I bet I know what you're thinking. I bet you're glad you married me, a Fortune 500 CEO, and not him, a service station attendant. The wife sat in silence for a while and then said, No, actually, I was thinking that if I had married him, he would be the Fortune 500 CEO and you would be the gas station attendant. Sometimes we need to be awakened. Sometimes our wives are good for that. But the fruit of the Spirit we're talking about this morning is our having the proper attitude toward ourselves. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6, For if a man thinketh he is to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem the other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What's the Bible teaching us here in these verses? It's telling us that I'm not better than someone else. That person's not better than me. And we need to look at others as more important than ourselves. The question is, do we look at it that way? You see, it's easy to become lifted up with pride. It's easy to look down our noses at someone else. But that's not what we're supposed to do as Christians. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, Let your moderation be known to all men. The New King James says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, I'm sure many of us have demonstrated this in our lives. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. 
How many times have you been confronted by someone and they're yelling, but you say a soft word, a kind word, and it diffuses the situation, whereas you could have said something, and many times we know that when we say what we're going to say or what we're thinking, we know it's going to escalate. But we go ahead and we say it anyways. That's not gentleness. That's not meekness. That's not humility. That's putting fire or wood on the fire. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When someone asks us concerning that hope, we need to realize that there's a soul that's precious in the sight of God. A soul that needs to be saved. A soul that has a question. And a soul that needs an answer. We need to realize that sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes God's Word makes people uncomfortable. And it should be all of our desires that it not be our personalities that causes the problem. But if they're going to have a problem, let them have a problem with the Word of God. We don't compromise the truth. We don't change the truth. But sometimes just the way we present can make all the difference in the world. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, Put on therefore the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You see, brethren, it's not all about you or me. It's about others. And we need to understand that when we're dealing with people. It's not about me. I need to be concerned about their soul. I need to be concerned about the relationship that we have. We can look at examples of gentleness. Because I think that's important because I think that sometimes we have a misunderstanding that if we're meek and we're gentle and we're humble, that we're not going to say the things that need to be said. And I want us to look at some examples in the New Testament. Look at Moses. Most of the most humble people in the Bible were men that had courage and strength. And we can look at Moses as an example of that. And listen to what it says in the Bible about Moses. In Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That tells me something about Moses. Moses was what we are talking about today. He was a meek man. But that meekness did not mean that he was weak. Because you remember when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai and they were worshiping that false god, you remember what he did? He ground it up into powder and he made them drink it. Was he meek at that time? Yes, he was. He was even stern when his brothers and sister, or brother and sister Aaron and Miriam, approached, reproached his name and character, but he did not 
retaliate. He didn't strike back. Now imagine we see brothers and sisters squabbling back and forth today. If you've ever gone on vacation and you've got kids in the back seat, those siblings usually are fighting somehow, some way uh, in the back seat. So it's sometimes hard to get along. So you can imagine that Moses, when Miriam and Aaron said what they were saying and doing what they were doing, that Moses wanted to react. But he didn't. He controlled it. We can look at John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a man who came to prepare the way for Christ. We know that he preached out in the wilderness. We know that he ate locusts and wild honey. And that many people came to to see his baptism and to listen to the words that he preached. But listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Does that sound like a compliment? You generation of vipers? Look at Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, when he's proclaiming the Word of God, and he's going through the history of what had transpired in the Old Testament with the prophets and their fathers. And he gets to the point where they become so upset with him that the Bible says that they gnashed on him with their teeth. But look what he says in Acts chapter 7 when they took him out and were stoning him to death. Beginning at verse 59, it says, And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He had told them their history. He told them what they rejected. He was meek. He was gentle. But yet he said what needed to be said. And they didn't like it. It wasn't his personality. It was the words of God that they rejected. But look at his attitude at the end. He didn't ask God to send down fire and destroy these individuals. He asked God not to lay their sin to their charge. Jesus. I want you to remember the invitation that He offered to people. Matthew chapter 11, and verse 28, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Was Jesus meek? Jesus said He was meek. And I believe that when we see His reactions and actions in His life, in the examples that are given to us, we see the meekness that's there. We see the gentleness that was there. We see the humility that was shown in His life. But when he went to the temple and he saw those money changers and he saw those animals that were there, in John chapter 2 and verse 13, beginning, it says, And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of the money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. 
Take not my father's house, or make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Sometimes we struggle with that when we look at Jesus having a reaction like that because we have in our minds that meekness and gentleness does not react like that. When it sees something that needs to be taken care of, it does what it's supposed to do. Jesus realized what they were doing. He realized the purpose of the temple. He realized what it was supposed to be. And they had made it into something that it was not supposed to be. And so don't think that because someone is gentle or meek or humble that they can't say what needs to be said. And sometimes they may need to be stern. I believe that that's what John the Baptist did. That's what Moses did. And that's what Jesus did. Think about Jesus on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, or beginning of verse 6, it says, Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Jesus was willing to be humble, came to this earth, left heaven came to this world that was full of sin, and He lived a life because that's what His Father wanted Him to do. And He lived a life of an example for us, for you and I to follow, so that we can be living in His image. So we can let people see Christ living in us. But yet He was willing to go to the cross. Did He deserve it? No, He did not deserve the cross. And as we've seen in the garden, He could have called legions of angels to come down and spare Him. But He humbly went to the cross, dying a death that He did not deserve. You and I deserve that death. But He died that death so that you and I could be free from sin. So when He says that, yes, I am meek and lowly in heart, He is meek and lowly in heart. So how do we cultivate gentleness? Well, first, we start by serving others. We see that in the life of Christ. We see that in the life of Moses, John the Baptist, Stephen. You see, the abundant life becomes ours when we take our eyes and thoughts off of ourselves and begin to care about the needs of others. Gentleness means we treat others with the compassion and tenderness of Jesus. You can look at examples where He came upon people that a loved one had died and He had compassion on them. We can see where someone came and wanted to know what they needed to do to inherit eternal life. And you can see the love that He had for that individual. He didn't compromise the truth. And that rich young ruler went away sorrowful. Why? Because Jesus told him what he needed to hear. You see, gentleness means that we treat others with the compassion and tenderness of Jesus. And gentleness means that we never do or say anything to intentionally hurt others. Gentleness means that we become a people and a person of sincere compassion. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, But it shall not be so so among you. 
But whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. That word minister could be translated servant. We're all to be servants of God. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then serve others. Help others. Encourage others. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one for one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Peter's telling us what we need to do. Be concerned about other people and do it in the right way. Let them see your love that you have for them. Let them see that you realize that their soul is precious. They may not at the time that you're showing them in the Bible what they need to change in their life, but when they look back, they'll realize that it's because you have a love for their soul. Secondly, We need to develop gentleness by being approachable. Jesus was approachable. We see this in His gentleness with children, with sinners, with the downtrodden, with the disenfranchised, the sick, the poor, and the lost. You can look at examples where Jesus went into all of those situations with people in those, in those groups We can see how He treated children when they came to Him. We can see how He dealt with sinners when they were in His presence and He went among them. In fact, He was condemned for eating with sinners. Even associating with sinners. But that's what He realized, that they needed salvation. For those that were poor, for those that were sick, many that we don't want to socialize with today, because we're lifted up with pride. Jesus didn't have that problem. And if Christ is living in us, we won't have that problem either. We need to be approachable, and that demands that we be good listeners. We look for the good in others. And we're not to be critical and judgmental. Sometimes we don't know the circumstances behind why people are in the situation that they're in. But I sometimes wonder how we would react if we were in their, in their situation. Gentleness never overreacts when others disappoint us. We realize there's going to be disappointments in life. We realize that other people around us are sometimes going to disappoint us. When we're gentle and kind and meek, like we're supposed to be, we don't overreact. It means putting the needs of others before our own. It means never looking down our nose at anybody. It means treating others like we want to be treated. And isn't that what Jesus taught us? To do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That means you treat them the way you would like to be treated. You see, sometimes our argument is, well, they've done it to us. That's the way they want to be treated, so I can do it to them. No, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to know how we want to be treated and then treat others the right way. 
1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul speaks to elders. And I believe he's not only speaking to elders, but he's speaking to all of us. Because with the exception of a couple of those qualifications, those are things that all of us should have in our lives. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3, he says, "...not given to wine, or no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous." In other words, what he's saying is that an elder is not to be quarrelsome. Not to always want to fight. And I believe that there are people in the church that would rather have a, uh, an issue going so that they can have a confrontation and drama all the time. And that's what uh, uh, Paul is saying here. Don't be like that. Don't let that be your attitude. Look at all the passages of the Scripture that talk about our unity and our being together and our fellowship. That would, to have an attitude where I want to be quarrelsome is contrary to what God wants me to have. We must be kind to everyone, an elder especially, and not or and apt to teach and not resentful toward anyone. In Romans chapter twelve and verse sixteen, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceit. Don't put your don't let your mind be on high things. Don't be lifted up with pride. Don't just associate with those that you think are better than other groups, but associate with those that are humble. You see, snobby people are obsessed with status. Snobby people like to divide people up into groups. They realize rich and poor, educated and uneducated, Gifted and untalented or lack of talent. And they divide them into groups. And they associate with the ones that they like. The ones that they feel like they're part of. And I ask you, did Jesus do that? Over the course of my life in the church, I've seen where that has taken place where people look down on someone else thought that they were better than someone else, more righteous than someone else. Do we see that attitude in the Bible? Did Jesus do that Himself? If anyone that came to this earth was better than anyone else, would it not have been Jesus? But yet, He would associate with you and me. Think about that. And look at the people that he associated with in the New Testament. He didn't divide people up and say, you're good, you're bad, I don't want to have anything to do with you. He looked at those as souls. Those that were lost needed to be saved. Those that were saved needed to be encouraged. We can also see, or if you want to be gentle, I think it's important to spend time with children. The Bible tells us that Jesus loved children. We can see that He spent time with children, welcomed them into His presence, and He took them up into His arms. And He commands us to do the same thing with a warning. In Mark chapter 10, verses 13-16, through 16, 
It says, And they brought young children to Him that He should touch them, and His disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up into his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. And then in Luke chapter 9, verses 47 through 48, it goes on, or 46 through 48, it says, Then there arose a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest. And Jesus perceived the thoughts of their heart, took a child and set him by him. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. I believe that it's important to share time or spend time with children. And I've always tried to listen to children when they come out the door and they're talking. They have something to say. I want to make sure that I listen. Why? Because I believe that that's important. And I believe that Jesus is telling us that it's important. Because there's a lot that we can learn from a child. We can learn about their faith. We can learn about their dependence. We can learn a lot of things about Jesus with a child. Because look at how they forgive. And how they get over it real quick when they have a squabble with their friend. Aren't those characteristics that we need to have in our lives? You can tell a lot about a man's heart by the way that he treats children and the way that he treats animals. You can, get a, you can understand and learn a lot about someone. i got to tell you, even challenge you, go out and watch and see if that's true. Look around and see those that are sensitive to children. And those, that, those are the ones that will have the heart of Jesus and the attitude of Jesus in their lives. How do you treat your dog? How do people treat their children? tells you a lot about that individual, doesn't it? Usually people that abuse animals are going to abuse people also. Jesus wants us to associate with children. Why? Hopefully some of their good qualities will rub off on us and we can lead them to Christ by listening and teaching them. Then finally, we need to seek God's help. Gentleness, meekness, and humility are difficult virtues to cultivate in our society today. It's difficult to be meek gentle and humble when we have a society that's saying be tough be harsh be mean but God never asks us to do something that he's not willing to help us to do listen to what he tells us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 13, verses, beginning of verse 20, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
And then in James chapter 4 and verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. God doesn't ask us to, to add these Christian graces, to add this fruit into our lives without His help. He realizes what this world is like. Jesus is our high priest and He was tempted in all forms like as we are. And yet He was without sin. And so He knows what it's like to live on this earth. He knows what it's like to live in corrupt societies. And He's willing to help you and I to overcome the world and live in His image all the days of our lives. But look what it said there in James 4 and verse 10. We have to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. <clears throat> Too many times we don't want to humble ourselves and do what God wants us to do. We don't want to humble ourselves and submit our life to Him. And that's exactly what we must do if we want to have Jesus in our lives. You see, this morning, God has promised that abundant life to those who are willing to walk in step with His Spirit. He's offered that abundant life to those who will submit their lives to His will. Remember those Christian graces that Peter talked about? He says if we have them in our lives, we, we will have an abundant life. But he says if we lack those things, we will be blind. We can't see it far off. Which one of those things do I have to leave off before I'm blinded? How blind do you want to be? before you can't see. I think any of us that have glasses realize what it, how good it is to have 20-20 vision. And you realize that with these things, it really is not the same as 20-20 with your eyes. Because I don't have, I don't ever, I've never had to take a cloth and wipe off my eyeball. When we submit to God's will, we won't be blind. At least spiritually, we won't be blind. And we'll have that home in heaven. Don't you want that in your life? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. This morning, if you're not a Christian, that first step to make that Spirit walk with you is to become a child of His. And you do that by surrendering, surrendering your life to Him. How do we do that? Well, the first step is I have to have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Hebrews 11, and verse 6. That faith is based upon the Word of God. As Romans chapter 10, and verse 17 tells us, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So our faith is based upon what the Bible teaches us about Jesus Christ as the Son of God and why we need to be obedient to Him and what He's done for us. We've learned that He's died on the cross for our sins and that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. And that is the Gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter verses 1-4. through And Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach that Gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so this morning, if you have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 
And you're willing to confess His name before men because He tells us that also in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. That if we'll confess Him before men, He will confess us before His Father. But if we deny Him before men, He'll deny us before His Father which is in heaven. And so we make that great confession like the Ethiopian eunuch did that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are you willing to make that confession? Turning away from your sin? Stop doing those things because Jesus said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then be buried with our Lord in baptism. That's obeying the Gospel. Because baptism represents the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, which is the Gospel, the good news, that He died for our sins and that He was buried and that He rose victorious over the grave. So we go down in that watery grave of baptism of sinner and we come up a new creature in Christ. You can do that this morning. And then you start that walk and we add these graces and we, add, and we produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we submit to God's will. I ask you this morning, are you doing that? Are you living as God wants you to live? And if not, why not? And if you want to respond to the invitation this morning, we can baptize you into Christ. If you need our prayers, we're here to help you in any way that we can. You have that opportunity. Always stand and say.